On today's episode, I'll tell you why David Dahl is worth drafting in every league despite his horrible 2020 numbers. Plus, I share my interviews with reporters covering the Rockies and the Angels. That's today on Fastball Fantasy Baseball. I'm Taylor Tarter, and this is Fastball Fantasy Baseball. Let's get into it. On the docket for today is a look at a few important signings, trades, uh, some major free agents that are out there, a couple rumors on the rumor mill, and some other baseball news. So let's get into it. So there have been three major fantasy-relevant signings over the last week. James McCann was signed by the Mets, David Dahl was signed by the Rangers, and Hunter Renfro was signed by the Red Sox. So starting with McCann, uh, he's been steadily getting better every year he's been in the big leagues. His walk rate, his isolated power, and plate discipline numbers have improved just about every year. Uh, He still doesn't make a ton of hard contact, and that's always going to limit a player's home runs and and production numbers. And we did see, despite that, his power numbers uh, were up in 2020. Uh, They were inflated a little bit because of a higher than normal home run to fly ball rate. And nearly last year's home run to fly ball rate, 2020s, was nearly twice as much as his usual home run to fly ball rate. And what that means is the amount of fly balls that are turning into home runs for him were more than normal. So uh, that's kind of fluky. Uh, And his hard contact was not super high, showing that maybe it was a product of some bad plays by the the defense, the outfielders, uh, some missed catches, some uh, nice weather, the wind blowing a favorable way for him. Uh, Something else you can see that might contribute to that is his BABIP uh, was higher than usual, meaning he may have gotten a little lucky in batting average too. So he did have a lot of things going his way uh, in 2020. Uh, Looking at park factors, which is, you know, when we say park factors, it's does the ballpark lean more towards being pitcher friendly or hitter friendly? Well, Last year in Chicago, it was a little more friendly to hitters than City Field was. So with all of that being said, my expectation in 2021 for James McCann is for him to be probably a 250 hitter, somewhere around 12 to 15 home runs, probably close to what he did in 2017 with the Tigers. He obviously is not going to be the first catcher off the board in fantasy leagues, but I think he should be considered in the top five, top seven range. Um, He's going to get a bunch of starts uh, behind the plate. They didn't sign him for that much money and, uh, you know, to to platoon him, you know, half the time. He's going to get the bulk of the starts, and so that's going to give him a chance to produce. So for David Dahl, I know a lot of Rockies and David Dahl fans were surprised to see him drop by Colorado. I certainly was. They never really gave him a serious shot to develop in the outfield there. It's always been a kind of crowded outfield, um, and and after a disastrous 2020, they ended up releasing him. Uh, it's definitely Colorado's loss in my mind. Even as a lefty, he's shown in previous years that he can hit against lefties or righties. Looking at the numbers, it just seems like he hit some bad luck last year. His BABIP was so low that it dragged his average down. He also had a 0% home run to fly ball rate. That means none of the fly balls he hit turned into home runs. That's so fluky. 40% of his hits in 2020 were fly balls, and none of them went over the fence. Are you kidding me? You cannot explain that. The, The only explanation for that is bad luck or good defense. And then one other sign that David Dahl's 2020 was marred by bad luck is that his plate discipline numbers are almost identical to last year. So it's not like he was doing something different that affected him. He swung at almost exactly the same percent of pitches outside the strike zone this year as he did last year. The issue was that he connected on fewer, but it was balanced out by making more contact on pitches outside of the zone or inside of the zone, rather. His overall contact rate for the last four years 
has been identical at 71.8%. So he's literally hit, had the same contact percentage for four years except for 2016 when it was 0.1% higher. I think 2021 is a major bounce back year for David Dahl. He has a clear path to playing time in the Texas outfield, uh, likely in left field. I could see him as a full-time outfielder, perhaps a platoon hitter with, you know, the, the heavy end of the platoon. Either way, I think he holds some major value. I think he's going to be a great uh, sneaky draft pick uh, where a lot of people are going to overlook him based on what he did or what he did not do in 2020. And finally, Hunter Renfro signed with the Red Sox. So according to Red Sox beat writer Jim McCaffrey, uh, Sox GM Haim Bloom could still be on the lookout for another outfielder. So this could mean that Renfro is more of a platoon player or a designated hitter. Now, depending on how they use him in Boston, it could impact his output a lot. He's a player who has the potential to crank 30 home runs if he's used correctly. Like many people, he struggled in 2020 despite improving in a lot of areas. He walked more, he struck out less, he improved his plate discipline metrics. His biggest issue last season was a major drop in his hard contact, which limited his power numbers, which are his bread and butter. Uh, he's going into a great situation in Boston where he's going to get playing time no matter what, um, and his power is going to play in that park. So for fantasy purposes, I, I think he's still draftable, but late, um, and he he's going to be a good option for you. There's also been one trade in the last week, so we'll get to that now. Deal or no deal? Nate Lowe was traded from the Rays to the Rangers for a few minor leaguers. I like the deal for Texas. Lowe is better against righties, but did well against lefties in a small amount of bats uh, in 2019. Texas is building a young core of players. They might be maneuvering for a big money deal, but that's kind of my speculation. The Rays, in return, received a few minor leaguers, including a catcher, Heriberto Hernandez, who's seen as a solid catcher with a chance to be good in the majors in a couple of years. But the only fantasy-relevant uh, asset here was was uh, Nate Lowe. So uh, for Lowe, he should get playing time at first base, potentially in the outfield, a corner outfield spot, uh, likely as a platoon player with some upside for full-time at-bats. He's got good background numbers that suggest if he gets his strikeouts down, he could be a really solid hitter. He'd be a nice late round flyer in fantasy drafts for 2021. Definitely uh, worth a pick in AL only leagues. Uh, let's talk free agents. So a lot of the big free agents are still on the board. Real Muto. Uh, I imagine that deal is going to get done sometime soonish now that the catcher market's been set by McCann. Uh, Yachty is still out there. At second base, you got LeMahieu and LaStella. Uh, Justin Turner is the, the big third base option that's out there in free agency. Didi Gregorius and Marcus Semien at shortstop. Uh, the three kind of like big names at outfield available now is uh, you have Springer, Brantley, and Ozuna. And Trevor Bauer is the, the main, he's the stud pitcher that's out there, but James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, Liam Hendricks, Brad Hand, Kirby Yates are all available too. And then old man Nelson Cruz is uh, looking for a deal as well. Uh, so the market for Liam Hendricks is definitely heating up. He's wanted by a lot of clubs and rightly so. He's been so good uh, for the last couple of years. He's going to end up closing wherever he signs. So he's going to maintain his value. And I think we're not too far off from seeing Springer sign somewhere, perhaps Toronto, uh, the Mets. Um, you know, those are teams that he's rumored, you know, he's tied to a lot. Uh, he's another player that is probably not going to be impacted too much by the park he's playing in. I'm also curious to see where Tommy LaStella lands. He's not the biggest name out there, but... Uh, he should be starting somewhere. I think he can be a really productive bat for fantasy. He's been trending that way uh, the last two years, and 
Uh, he's eligible at multiple positions. I think he could be uh, a really, really good draft pick uh, in fantasy leagues. There's also a lot of rumors swirling about these players, so let's look into a few. The Angels were rumored to be in on McCann, but didn't want to offer the fourth year. They're uh, supposedly eyeing pitching. They've been eyeing pitching for a long time. Uh, but they could be in line to sign Trevor Bauer for some big money. They've also been linked in a trade to Blake Snell. So uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the episode. The Mets are seen as the favorites to sign Springer, but there's no word on a deal yet. Uh, word on the rumor mill is the Nats are interested in signing Kyle Schwarber and that they are not interested in signing DJ LeMayhew, even though there's definitely a need for some infield help there. Uh, other teams linked to Schwarber include the Twins, the Angels, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. LeMayhew is being courted by the Yankees, but they're supposedly like at least $25 million apart in negotiations, and that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Uh, so not sure if a deal is going to get done there. Uh, it's been reported that the Red Sox were interested in Corey Kluber and that they are a suitor for Japanese pitcher Tomoyuki Sugano, who was posted by the Yumiori Giants. Uh, so if there is going to be a deal done signing Sugano, uh, that has to be done by early January. Uh, so we'll know about that sooner rather than later. Uh, the Red Sox are desperate for pitching, so I would expect them to be active in the pitching market at some point this offseason. And then Jeff Passan of ESPN reports that Marcus Semyon could be signed soon. A lot of teams are going to be in on him because of his versatility and the fact that he won't cost an arm and a leg, even though he probably should after an excellent 2019 and in some other MLB news, uh, Dave Dombrowski is the new Phillies GM. The Phillies have one of the worst farm systems in the, in the MLB. And Dombrowski is a guy known to be uh, someone who trades minor leaguers for big name major league players. He typically likes to spend money on uh, big name free agents. I'm not sure how he's going to do that in Philly. They could be in for a rebuild, uh, especially as their owner is talking about uh, how much money they've lost. I My expectation is Dabrowski is going to start by rebuilding the bullpen. It was a disaster in 2020. It's been you know, a, a, an Achilles heel for them the last two or three years. Uh, I'm also expecting them to be looking for a catcher. I don't think that Real Muto is coming back. The National Association for Professional Baseball Leagues, which governed the minor league system since 1901, is shutting down. And so responsibility over the minor leagues is being absorbed into the MLB offices. And this has been something that's been ongoing for a few years, and the ripple effects of this are going to be huge. Uh, so in doing this, what MLB is has done is uh, to downsize the, the farm systems to just four teams. You, so major league teams are now going to only have four minor league te uh, farm teams associated with them. One at AAA, one at AA, and two at single A. Now, many of those teams that are no longer affiliated with major league teams are going to be part of an independent league, or there's going to be a league set up uh, for um, players to participate in between college years. There's also going to be a league set up for prospects ahead of the MLB draft. Uh, and so for the MLB, the argument to do this was to provide better working conditions for the players, better pay, better transportation, hotels, um, better geographic connections between the MLB teams and their minor leagues. So like the Nationals don't have players coming in from Fresno, uh, you know, <laughs> that to fill in uh, for an injured player. And then also you're gonna have better travel situation for the minor leaguers because they're gonna be associated with uh, more geographic uh, 
there's going to be more geographic lineups for the minor league conferences. So the negative here is that a lot of major league teams are going to shed a uh, hundred players at least from their minor league rosters. This is going to trim their player pools. It's going to trim their assets significantly. Obviously, this is also a negative for those players affiliated with those teams. But uh, this is something unprecedented, and we don't know how it's going to shape the way that major league teams uh, use and grow their prospects. So uh, this is going to be something totally new going forwards. There have been a couple other things here uh, in the last week or so. Jared Porter, who was the assistant GM in Arizona, has been hired as the new Mets GM. He's worked as an executive in Boston and Chicago. He has three World Series rings as a scout for the Cubs and the Red Sox. He's well-respected, and he's going to look to make a name for himself. That's my expectation. And he's working in, uh, under one of the wealthiest owners in the league, in Steve Cohen. And so I can see the Mets continuing to make some big moves in free agency. Yeah, if, uh, And so there could be a lot of fantasy uh, involvement there depending on what players land there and then finally the Cleveland Indians are no longer going to keep their moniker uh, my guess is they're going to enter the season as the Cleveland baseball team in a moment I'll share my interviews with uh, Rockies reporter uh, Patrick Saunders and Angels beat writer Maria Torres right after a word from my sponsor Joining me on the podcast today is Patrick Saunders covering the Colorado Rockies for the Denver Post. Patrick, thanks for joining me. You're sure welcome, Taylor. My pleasure. So you wrote an article recently about the outfield situation in Denver and how it's kind of unclear. What's your expectation of how things shake out in the outfield? It seems, you know, a little crowded there. Well, it is a little crowded. But that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Usually you say crowd and you think lots of competition. Uh, but I'm not sure the Rockies have a lot of quality depth out there. As you're probably well aware, they non-tendered David Dahl, who ended up signing or at least agreeing to terms with the Texas Rangers, which essentially leaves them with uh, veteran Charlie Blackman, who's really the centerpiece of their outfield. Uh, in, in, he plays right field. And then uh, youngster Ramel Tapia in left, who's coming off a, a good season. After that, um, there's a lot of question marks. And one of the big question marks in my mind is how uh, veteran Ian Desmond uh, is going to play in 2021 after sitting out 2020 because of the pandemic. Right. Uh, there's, there's a lot of question marks, no question, about the Rockies outfield. So in, in that same article, you kind of question the decision to let go of David Dahl, and I think a, a lot of people were questioning that. Um, any ideas why they made that decision? Was it just because of his 2020 season? Was it money? A mixture of both? It's a mixture of a variety of things, and I think you hit it on the head. Uh, his 2020 season was bad. Uh, really bad, but of course it was a, a short season. I think David only played in 24 games, if I'm not mistaken, because of a right shoulder injury and also an oblique strain, some other things. David has a long history of injuries. He's only 26 years old, and for all of his talent, uh, he hasn't been on the field nearly as much as the Rockies had hoped for a first-round draft choice. So in my mind, it came down to this. The Rockies are cutting corners with their payroll. Uh, it seems to me, my opinion, it seems a little ridiculous to trim a guy who probably would have made three point, I'm sorry, $2.6 million through arbitration with all of David Dahl's upside to essentially cut him loose uh, because your purse strings are, are going to be tight this year. Because I think David Dahl still has a bright future. But GM Jeff Breidich also mentioned that Dahl's injury history, and it is extensive, uh, had something to do with it. Uh, and the Rockies did not say this, and this is my supposition, but I'm wondering if it was a factor. And that is this. Uh, David Dahl 
started experiencing shoulder pain, the throwing shoulder, last January. Um, rather than talk to the Rockies about it and try to go through a program to find out what was going on and alleviate it, he decided to push through on his own. And it just became worse, and he never really solved the problem until he had off-season surgery. David did that because he essentially didn't want to tell the Rockies again, hey, I'm hurt again. Mm. So we thought, I better push through it. Well, in retrospect, that was a mistake. And I'm wondering if uh, that ticked off the Rockies, if they thought, you know what, you can't be doing that. Uh, We need you on the field. And uh, we didn't like the fact that you kind of bypassed the team with this injury and kept it hidden. I don't know if that was a factor, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was one of the factors. That's really interesting. And this is a fantasy baseball podcast and so the the idea of him you know dealing with injuries that's something that's not new to to fantasy baseball managers like myself uh and so uh, aside from David Dahl there's a lot of speculation about Nolan Arenado and you know him him being traded and there's been a lot of talk about that the last few years but nothing's happened is this year any different? Is he? Are we going to actually see Nolan Arenado leave the Rockies? You know what? Right now, I would say it's probably 50-50. Uh, because Arenado, he wants out. He wants to play for a winner. But the problem is, his contract is huge. He's still owed $199 million going forward. Uh, in the climate, the current climate of baseball, I don't know what team is going to want to pick up that uh, contract, $35 million next year, uh, unless the Rockies, you know, take up the slack and start paying off some lesser players in return. So whether Nolan's going to be here in 2021 or only half of 21, 2021 and get traded at the, at the deadline, uh, or if he opts out after 2021, which he could do if he wants to take the risk of not making as much money, all of those things are on the table people I have talked to indicate that trading Nolan, the Rockies trading Nolan is still a realistic idea, but there's so many hoops to jump through. Uh, as I mentioned, I think it's at this point, it's probably 50, 50 that Nolan opens the 2021 season in a Rockies uniform. What about uh, Trevor story trade? Is that on the horizon? That one I'm a little uns- more unsure of. Uh, and here's the situation with Trevor. And fantasy baseball fans, I'm sure, are well aware. Trevor Story, in my estimation, is one of the up-and-coming uh, young players in the game, one of the best shortstops in the game. It's for power. It's for decent average. can steal bases. He's uh, really a great shortstop in the field. He is entering the final year of his contract. And of course, he'd be a free agent after 2021. For the longest time, the Rockies and owner Dick Monford in particular have said they wanted to lock Trevor Story up long term. That was before the coronavirus hit and baseball had no fans in the stands in 2020. Now all of that is off the table. The Rockies have made it pretty clear they're going to be cutting money. So my question is, can the Rockies afford to keep Nolan Arenado at $35 million in 2021? Trevor Story at $18.5 million in 2021, and Charlie Blackman at $21 million in 2021. My guess is they can't afford all. That's what I'm thinking. Something's got to give. I also think that Trevor Story right now, because of his lesser contract and because his upside is so huge, is probably a more realistic trade piece right now than Nolan Arenado is. The difference being that Nolan has made it pretty clear he doesn't get along with the Rockies front office and he wants out. Trevor has not been nearly as vocal about it either. Right. So I want to start getting into some fantasy baseball aspects of the Rockies roster and one position in Colorado that's always kind of a risky play in fantasy baseball is pitching. What do you expect out of Herman Marquez, John Gray, and Kyle Freeland next season? Gray did not look good in 2020, and he seems, he's one of those guys that's never kind of really equaled the hype 
Um, whereas like Freeland and Marquez, they've been kind of up and down in terms of output. What, what do you see on the uh, horizon for them in, in 2021? Well, let me just say it as a whole. Uh, I think the Rockies starting rotation, the core of their starting rotation uh, going forward is actually a positive. Now, keep in mind, whenever you talk about Rockies pitching and pitching course field, you have to, you know, it comes with a caveat. Right. Because it is a different place. Uh, Marquez, I think, has some of the best pure stuff in the game. I still think that. Uh, I expect him to have a terrific 2021 season. He wasn't great in the shortened 2020 season. Uh, he had his ups and downs. But I still think he's the kind of guy who could, even given Coors Field, is going to have a sub-4 ERA. Uh, he's going to win. I think he's definitely he can win between 15 and 20 games, which in this day and age is, is quite a few victories. Uh, I think he is he's a top-notch pitcher. Freeland had an excellent bounce-back season in 2020. Uh, he was tarnished a little bit by his final outing of the year. Uh, but for the most part, I think Kyle Freeland, who's reinvented himself as a pitcher after a really bad 2019, is a very solid number two, maybe number three pitcher in the rotation. Uh, he, he's done well. You mentioned John Gray. A lot of question marks about John Gray, who's entering the final year of his contract before free agency. Uh, there's still a possibility he could get traded. Uh, you're exactly right that John Gray has been wildly inconsistent. He can go from a great performance to a terrible performance back to back. The one thing about John Gray is uh, he is not afraid to pitch at Coors Field. Um, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think his ERA at Coors for his career is below four. Uh, John Gray is not intimidated by pitching at Coors Field. Some of his best performances have come there. problem with John Gray is uh, he did in his season with uh, a sore, tired shoulder. He told me recently he's just fine. He expects to come back. I think a lot of teams would covet John Gray and see what he could do outside of Colorado. I would not be shocked if somebody makes the right uh, overture toward the Rockies. I could see John Gray being traded. If not, I think he'll be a solid pitcher who will give you, you know, he'll give you more wins than losses, and he'll be probably overall in the mid-fours in ERA. And the one guy you did not ask me about, which I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, and that's right-hander Antonio Sensatella, who really snuck in under the radar in 2020, had an excellent year, um, in some ways was the Rockies' best starting pitcher. And I think Antonio Sensatella uh, is bound for a very good 2021 season. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, think about him in that way, but uh, I'll have to go back and look uh, at what he did last year. Um, so who closes for the Rockies next season? And what are the chances that that player is not on the roster right now? I think the closer is on the roster right now. And in my book, it's going to be one of two people. It's either going to be uh, right under Scott Oberg, who missed the 2020 season because of surgery to uh, repair a condition that was leading to blood clots. He's had... Uh, his season curtailed by blood clots three times in the last four years, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully, this surgery rectified the problem because he, over the last two years, has been the Rockies' best reliever by far. Uh, in 2019, uh, even though the Rockies were awful, Scott Oberg was terrific. He didn't give up a single home run in 2019. Uh, no home runs at Coors Field. That's not easy. That's not an easy accomplishment. No, that's really impressive. Right, particularly given the home runs that were flying out of the ballparks in 19. He's a really, really salty competitor. If he's not ready to go, the closer is most likely going to be Daniel Bart, who, of course, as we all know, had maybe the most remarkable comeback story of the entire 2020 season. I mean, he was out of baseball, Major League Baseball, for more than seven years. Yet he came back and was 6-for-6 six six on saves with the Rockies. 
uh, he, he was terrific. You know, everybody kept thinking, are the Yips going to return for Daniel Bard? They never did. And now he's entrenched as a, is a really solid late game reliever. So if you had to ask me, I think the Rockies choice would be a healthy Scott Oberg as their closer followed by Daniel Bard. Okay. And then, uh, is 2019 Ryan McMahon, the ceiling for Ryan McMahon, or are we still waiting to see his best because he's another one of those guys who it seems like we've been waiting forever for him to fulfill the expectations that he's had on him in the minors? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm a big Ryan McMahon fan. I'll admit partly because I like him personally so much. You asked about the ceiling for Ryan McMahon. And, you know, 2019 was, was a pretty good year for him. His average wasn't great. It was 250. Uh, but he did hit 20. Uh, he did hit, uh, uh, what do you have, 24 home runs that year. Uh, drove in quite a few runs. Um, I thought that was just the hint of what he was going to do next. I thought that was the springboard for him. I thought I think he has the talent to be a 25 to 30 home run hitter, to drive in 90, even 100 runs, and hit an average maybe, oh, I don't think he's ever going to be a 300 hitter, but I could see him hitting 275, 280, somewhere in there. Um, problem is, he regressed in 2020 in the short season. Uh, he struck out, I believe it was 34% of the time, something like that. And that was He struck out way too often. He really went hot and cold, and he got into some bad habits. So to answer your basic question, I think Ryan McMahon is going to be better than he was in 2020 when he, when he was terrible. Uh, and I think if he can get back to his 2019 season, maybe that is what Ryan McMahon is. Maybe I misjudged him. Maybe he's not as good in the future as I thought. And maybe 2019 was his season. And, I mean, even still, you know, he's, uh, 2019, Ryan McMahon would still be a, a nice fantasy baseball asset and, and obviously a nice asset for the Rockies, too. Uh, I agree. You know, I agree with that. I agree with that, particularly because he does have power uh, in his bat, and he also comes up with some pretty timely home runs. Uh, you know what? He's hit a, quite a few game-winning or go-ahead hits, at least he did in uh, 18 and 19, but he needs to quit striking out so much. He's got to become a more disciplined uh, hitter and quit chasing so much. And so kind of going forwards here with the rest of the offseason, what do you see as the biggest sort of remaining needs for for Colorado going into next season? Going into 2021, I think for the Rockies, they need to decide who the first baseman's going to be. It's been a hole for them for a while. You know, Daniel Murphy, who was a huge disappointment, is now gone. Uh, Josh Fuentes, who is Golnar uh, Nato's cousin, is penciled in as the starter right now at first. Uh, Josh really showed up well in 2020. Uh, he, I can't help but think uh, people are wondering, including the Rockies, are wondering if that's sustainable. So the Rockies still lack some depth and some pop at first base, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, uh, the Rockies could use help uh, in the, the outfield. I think they need help outfield depth. Uh, they need overall, besides pitching, and Rockies always need pitching, they need another big bat in this lineup. Uh, for all the things the Rockies can do at Coors Field, if you look at the overall production of this offense, it was one of the worst in baseball last year. In terms of OPS, OPS plus, uh, hitting away from Coors Field, uh, home runs. I think the Rockies ranked 26th in baseball. They need some more pop. Part of that, of course, was the fact that Nolan Arenado had a bad season. But even if he bounces back, and even if he's with the team and bounces back, Rockies need a they need a right-handed bat, in my estimation. Somebody who can put the ball out of the ballpark. Problem is, I don't know if they can afford to find that guy. So we'll see. But to me, finding a right-handed bat um, to add some fuel to this offense is job one for the Rockies. 
Do you have any ideas who like they might be looking at and you know for those needs? You know what? I really don't. And I say that not because I haven't researched it, but the Rockies have made it very clear that they're not going to be willing to spend much money. I think Rocky fans are going to have to uh, deal with the fact that outside of a, maybe a minor acquisition here or there and you now possibly a trade, which would change everything if they traded for either Arenado or if they traded away Arenado or Trevor Story, that could change the entire landscape of the team. But as it stands now, I think the Rockies are just fans are just going to have to be content with kind of the product they had last year. And I know a lot of Rockies fans are pretty disgruntled about that, but the Rockies have made it clear they lost a lot of money last year and they don't have money to spend. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think they're the only team in that position either. No, no question. But I think with the Rockies, who are always very cautious about such things. You know, they're fine with giving their homegrown players the Nolan Arenados, Trevor Stores, Charlie Blackmans, they're willing to give them big long-term deals. But when it comes to signing free agents, uh, the Rockies are very hesitant to shell out big money. I mean, really, the last time they did it was Ian Desmond, five years, $70 million. And that's basically been uh, a disaster for them. So uh, there's a lot of question marks about this franchise, no question. Well, Patrick, I really appreciate your insight. Uh, thank you very much for, for joining me today. And uh, you know, uh, just thanks a lot. Take care and uh, happy holidays to you. Hey, Taylor, send you, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Next up is Maria Torres, who covers the Angels for the LA Times. Maria, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Taylor. So you wrote that the Angels were in on James McCann, but basically like they didn't offer the fourth year that the Mets were willing to go to. Where do the Angels go now at catcher? Uh, the Angels are definitely still interested in shoring up their depth at catcher, um, but I don't know just how heavily they'll be involved in the conversations for um, the remaining catching uh, catcher free agents out there. Um, I don't, I think that their needs are still so great in the, the, on the pitching staff that they probably won't spend much money um, on the catcher. I think they were probably willing to go three years and however much money with James McCann because he was a bit more of a, a, uh, bit more of a proven commodity um, without having to spend too much money like the like you know like might be spent on the likes of JT Realmuto but there's just not really anyone else who could command the same kind of of money that McCann um, might besides Realmuto so or that should command that much money so I would imagine that if they do add a catcher it'll be on on the lower on the lower end of the totem pole someone like Kirk Casale or or someone, you know, someone like that. Like, I just don't think that they're going to, um, to, to invest that heavily into a catcher like Yadier Merlina, for instance, um, when they still have so much to do on the pitching end. So do you think they'd be fine going into the season with what they have already? Or do you think they're still going to be like active in the, in the market, whether free agency or trade? I think they need to add a catching mar another catcher, um, mostly because Max Stassi is coming off a second hip surgery, um, and even though all all signs are positive right now, um, it's still it's still a liability to go into the season with just two catchers on your forty man roster. The other one, his name is Anthony Bamboom, and Bamboom um, did did show well uh, last season, and uh, but he's you know he's not a he's not a strong hitting catcher by any means, so. Um, even though the Angels in the past have, you know, made a point of saying that they that any kind of offense from a catcher is kind of considered a plus, um, I don't think they're going to continue to keep that same philosophy going forward. Stassi would, was is a really good option from the hitting side and defensive side. He's a good hybrid in that sense when he's healthy, um, and he showed that last year. Yeah. But th that's just a question mark um, of whether or not he can remain healthy. So I think they need to to add another catcher just to have. Um, to, to have that depth because in their minor league system, they don't really have anyone who's, who's major league ready at the moment. Gotcha. And they, they've already kind of had an in, 
interesting offseason so far. The the team seems to be pretty aggressive in the trade market, trading for Jose Iglesias, Rizal Iglesias. Do you get the feeling that they're looking at any other trade options this offseason? And if so, who might they be targeting? I'll say that anything that comes out of my mouth now going forward is basically speculation. All of this has been, but it's all speculation mostly because this particular front office has been really, really close lipped on um, the deals that they've made so far. Like there hasn't been, there haven't been any leaks actually funny enough. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive uh, at this day that we're speaking right now. The angels added um, the angels just added a, a pitcher, Alex Claudio and the angels just announced the move. And the week before that, uh, they added Iglesias, Rizal Iglesias, and that was another under-the-radar move that didn't come out until the Angels announced it. So, um, you know, if they're, if they're looking into trades, we'll probably won't really find out about it until, you know, until it's almost done. Um, but I would think that there, you know, the options are out there. There are options out there, obviously. And the, the most high-profile ones would be Blake Snell of the Rays or Sonny Gray. Um, but, you know, there, there are options across the board that they could look at. I think that what they need to do, um, you know, if I were, if I were Perry Menagian right now, um, I would, I would go and find someone who can eat up innings, especially in the middle of the rotation um, in the hopes that Shohei Otani will bounce back from, from his poor 2020 campaign um, and really be the ace that they kind of signed him to be. Um, and, you know, and also the hopes that Dylan Bundy can continue uh, his kind of reinvention and that Andrew Heaney, can also uh, continue to grow. And then, of course, they've got uh, Griffin Canning and Patrick Sandoval and Jose Suarez and Jaime Maria, all young pitchers who have, at times, uh, put together like really impressive stretches at the major league level. So um, if I'm Menagian, I would add like someone who can, who's a proven you know, middle rotation guy and then wait until the trade deadline to see you know, who else you can add to that staff because you do need a lot of pitching depth right now um, and trading from your minor leagues or from your roster, your 40 man roster could be a little bit problematic when you know that you need as many arms as possible to get through a season. So you kind of named a, a, a few guys that, that I'm uh, curious about. So um, Dylan Bundy, he looked like he was never going to develop in Baltimore, but obviously the angels saw something last year was there anything that you noticed they did for him that Baltimore didn't because he was really really good last year yeah I would say the biggest thing they probably did for him um was kind of encourage him to use the slider a little bit more not much more granted and against again it's like the 2020 sample so it's kind of hard to to really extrapolate the data, but um, definitely just relying more, a little bit more on the slider than he had in the past while relying a little less on his four seam um, helped him a lot. Uh, the whiff rate on his slider was, you know, 50%. So that's obviously really impressive. Um, and it was, you know, the pitch like didn't, it was hard to, it was hard to square up for anything. Um, so, uh, you know, for him also, it was really, it was, it, it was pretty helpful that he was not pitching in, in an American league and East environment anymore. That's, mm. you know, that division obviously is incredibly stacked and that's not to say that the Astros isn't stacked. But, I mean, sorry, not the Astros, sorry. The AL West isn't stacked because, you know, you have the Astros and you have the, uh, the Oakland A's, the sneaky Oakland A's and even the Rangers themselves kind of um, can, 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 you know, creep up on the angels. But um I think that that definitely helped just pitching in an atmosphere where the ballparks are generally a little bigger um, and there's just a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more room to get the ball on the ground or, you know, at least keep it in the ballpark. Uh, I think that was the, the biggest thing for him was just being able to keep the ball in the ballpark. Do you think he can repeat it in 2021, something similar? I, I definitely don't see why he wouldn't be able to repeat it. He did have a stretch of a couple of, of starts where he kind of regressed a little bit this year, if I'm not mistaken, but I, you know, just overall, it was such a strong season. Um, and I, I think that he, if he keeps up with the same type of, of preparation that he did last year, last year, he said one thing that he did differently was, uh, was just not, was really not take a break from throwing. Um, it, and if he did take a break, it was very short com in comparison to years past. And uh, that he seemed to like that and that helped him a lot. So um 
uh, I, I think that, you know, as long as his preparation stays the same, there's no reason that Dylan Bundy shouldn't continue to, you know, kind of reinvent himself or at least reestablish himself is a better word there. Two other pitchers, you mentioned Griffin Canning and Andrew Haney. Uh, what do you think is the ceiling for them? Uh, yeah, Griffin Canning, obviously, you know, a second rounder. I mean, the, the, the ceiling on him is pretty high still. Uh, Heaney, you know, former first rounder himself. Um, I, I mean, the ceiling probably is still kind of middle rotation guy. He's, a, he's just a front rotation guy with the Angels um, because, they, you know, before uh, they just previously didn't have anybody who could – you know, really take that mantle. And even still, that's still in question. Um, if, you know, Heaney, Heaney, if one thing that, that goes for Heaney, it's that he can, he can pitch with his fastball. And that, uh, that's helped him a lot. The, his strikeout uh, numbers are, are pretty impressive. Um, and they have been for the last couple mm -hmm. of years now. So, you know, he's just, he's someone who, as long as he can, you know, pit, you know, log innings, he could, he could definitely be a solid uh, number two, number three guy. Um, with, you know, with the understanding, he'd probably be more likely a number three or number four. I feel like health is his biggest thing. Definitely. He has had issues in the past with just staying healthy. Um, obviously had elbow surgery several years ago. And since then has had a couple of shoulder issues and other, other arm related, um, problems, but, uh, and it's something that he, you know, that bothers him as well. Um, at the beginning of the 2019 season, he was hurt and he was, very straightforward with reporters about how upsetting that is to him and how he thinks like, you know, it, it's, it's something that he really, he needed to feel like he needed to get off his chest. Um, so it's something that he obviously has in mind. Um, and his, his, yeah. So his main issue is just staying healthy. And if I'm not mistaken, um, he actually didn't go on the injured list this season. Um, so that's, that's a major plus. It's a good sign. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to, I want to make sure that they're actually right. I, I don't think he went on the DL. I think you're right. Which is which actually he had a bit of a, a setback. I remember now during um during the second spring training, um during summer camp. Um where I, th I think it was like a back issue. Um and you know that kept him out of its final like tune up start. Um but even that even with that in mind, like he actually still made his his opening day start as planned. So um that's obviously a that's a, a very very good sign for him to have been able to get through a whole season without um, without getting hurt. And I don't know if that's, you know, if part of that just has to do with the fact that he didn't pitch six months um, of the year as he right. would. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, I think for, you know, for someone with the long injury history that he did 2020, the way the 2020 worked out was probably, probably a good thing for him. And kind of sticking along the pitching theme, with the Rizal Iglesias trade, do you think that the Angels acquired him to be the closer? And, you know, if not, who's who's going to be in the mix? Yeah, the Angels definitely acquired him uh, with with having him as a closer in mind. Um, they haven't really had anybody who can hold down that position um, for a number of years since they had Houston Street. They did have for a year uh, Hansel Robles, uh, for a very good year, Hansel Robles, but he in, in 2019, um, he had 23 uh, saves, but in, in 2020, he just never could find the adrenaline. He just never could really find the feel that he needed um, to, to, you know, kind of be that high end back end bullpen guy. And as a result, you know, he, the Angels just couldn't take a chance with him anymore. And um, they, you know, after a couple of weeks, he was no longer the closer. He'd been demoted and they went to a closer back committee. Um, and in that, you kind of saw the potential of guys like Ty Butchery as a closer in the future. Mm -hmm. And Felix Pena um, kind of emerged, too, as a good late inning option. And Mike Myers, who was, you know, another bounce back, not a bounce back candidate, but, you know, uh, someone who was another waiver claim, um, who who really kind of reinvented his, his uh, arsenal um, and emerged as another late inning guy. However, the likelihood that um, Myers or Pena is really like a, a strong um, back end, a, a strong closer candidate right now is probably still pretty slim. Uh, Butchery, of course, has what Butchery has going for him is 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 the high high velo, same that Iglesias right. has. So um, I would say that definitely Iglesias is a number one closer with you know the chance that you know others like Myers, Pena, and Butchery could come in at on a as need situation or basis. And it seems like the Angels have been after a stud 
free agent starting pitcher for years at this point. <laughs> do you do you think that they're going to sign Trevor Bauer? And I, I know you wrote that they also may be interested in Sugano. That's right. Um, as I said earlier, if I'm the Angels, I don't I wouldn't sign a front end starter right now. Um, but I, I think at the right price, they could definitely be swayed, which is why I don't think that they're really after Trevor Bauer. I don't think that um, with the, again, with the needs throughout the, you know, still with the pitching staff and needing to develop or get a little bit more depth there. I don't think it makes sense to invest whatever it is that he's going to ask for. Um, you know, we can only speculate on that. I mean, it'll definitely be more than the 11 million they they spent on Matt Harvey a couple of years ago. And that was the most that they'd spent on a, on a free agent starting pitcher um, in a while. So uh, you know, I, I, that's why I think the better fit on the free agent market would be someone like uh, Sagano out of Japan. Um, you know, older, older veteran, more the older veteran guy who obviously pitched well there and was their, their top pitcher for many years. So he would be a good fit um, in terms of you know what he offers. The question, of course, being then like the can 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 the Angels really deal with having two Japanese players in their rotation? Um, and I think a little bit of, I, I think there, I don't know if there would be any kind of conflict between Otani or, or Sagano, but, and I'm sure they respect each other both greatly, but, you know, culturally, it's just kind of weird. Uh, I think it'd be kind of different um, for the Angels to deal with that and for both of those players to deal with that because Otani is so much younger and of course Sagano is so much older. Um, mm. So that's, you know, something to keep in mind with those guys and the Angels have also been linked to Jago Rizzi. So um, I, I don't see them spending I don't see them spending in the beyond like, I don't just to throw a number out there. I don't think that they're going to spend more than $15 million a year on a, on a starting pitcher. Gotcha. So going kind of switching over to the hitting side of things, Jared Walsh had an insane September. I, I picked him up uh, thankfully like right before that uh, four, four game home run streak <laughs> uh, for my fantasy team, which was great. Uh, do you think he's going to get the opportunity to start at first base in 2021? And if so, how do you see him kind of developing next season? I uh, definitely think he'd be in the mix for that position. Or, uh, I mean, the Angels obviously still have one more year of Albert, Albert Pujols to go. And, and Pujols, for his, you know, for his part, like he doesn't want to slow down at all. Like he's still interested in playing. He still believes himself to be a viable option for the Angels. And, you know, when he's healthy and – and and on one, like, yeah, Pujols is definitely still a good option. He's still Albert Pujols. He's still an intimidating figure in that lineup. But the Angels also have to have an eye on the future, and they don't really have any other first-base prospects to think of at the moment So, or to, that they can rely on at the moment. Um, and Jared Walsh kind of came out of nowhere in a way. I mean, like, obviously he'd been – he was he had a, a very solid minor league career, um, but he didn't really emerge as a prospect – um, until the last couple of years or so. Um, and then, you know, when he did come up in 2019, he didn't hit very well. Uh, but, you know, he he just kind of remade uh, remade himself in the box. And, um, you know, basically all he did was just kind of slow him, you know, just kind of change his, his, uh, his swing mechanics a little bit. And it was a pretty subtle change, um, but that really helped him just getting his foot down and uh, being able to direct his power more. Um, and that, at, you know that stretch where you know like like you mentioned where he was he had the four what was it four straight games with the homer um yep yeah obviously like that that manifested itself and it's and it you know and it stood throughout the rest of the season it wasn't like a it, it was a, it, you know it helped a lot it helped enough to you know where he was he was getting the majority of the starts at first base so he could definitely be someone who at the very least will um will platoon with, with pools at first base. Um, if not, you know, take over the majority of the starts as, as the season goes on. But of course he's, he's, you know, he's, he's still young enough to, to need to earn it. So um, I would say he's definitely in the conversation. Do you think the front office feels like their outfield is set with Upton, Adele and Trout, or do you think we see some additions there? Well, they added on a minor league contact contract, sorry, Scott Schliber. Um, so, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I could potentially be, um, but you know they still have uh, they have the, they have those guys right now. So that's four. 
Um, and obviously they added Brandon Marsh to the 40 man roster. So he's on the major league depth chart now. Um, he's definitely a possibility to, to debut in 2021. Um, and, you know, they still have a, a good, a good group of, of outfield prospects there with Marsh and then Jordan Adams and, and others. So um uh, I think, and, and, you know, they also, there's also the fact that they've got a couple, I mean, Walsh can play the outfield if, if needed. Um, although David Fletcher is pretty much going to be their second baseman in 2021. If the need were to arise, they have, he could definitely back up in the outfield. And, uh, you know, if, if, if Angels fans were watching, they definitely saw Fletch, uh, you know, make a couple impressive plays in the outfield when he played it in 2019, which is kind of surprising. Um not not just from the fact of just just from the fact that you know Fletcher is a pretty small guy to see him in the outfield doing what he does uh like he's you know like he didn't move even from the dirt is actually pretty impressive to watch so um I I would imagine that they're probably going to look and I mean the Angels are look at everything that's available to them but I don't see them you know I don't really see them investing too much in, in another another outfielder and so my last question here is about Joe Adele what sort of production do you expect out of him next year? Are they going to give him a chance to play full time? Do you think we see him struggle like he did last year after being such a highly touted prospect? It's really hard to say. Obviously so young still. Um, and just the fact that he didn't really get much seasoning beyond the double a level, like hardly played a triple a, um, didn't have a chance to play AAA in 2020, which was the plan. Like he was not supposed to debut without having, you know, reps at the minor league level in 2020. That was not, you know, that wasn't the intention. Um, but uh, there's also, I mean, uh, uh, he's already debuted, obviously. So that's the hardest part is done in a way. Um, he, he, yeah. He's that he'll, he'll have those, those jitters will be gone now. Um, he'll know the ballparks better, which uh, from, you know, if, if you were watching Dovidel throughout the season, getting used to to playing in, in the likes of, you know, Angel Stadium and then the new Rangers ballpark with its weird roof and um, uh, playing in, in Seattle and and other – and, you know, Oakland's a huge uh, outfield as well. Um, Houston, like after getting used to playing in those places um, – that you know that he has that going for him at least and then on the on the hitting side um i mean i think a lot of it just has to do with with reps he just didn't get the reps that he needed to get in the minor league level and there's no reason for him not to continue to to develop or to prove himself because you know yeah yes he's definitely the highly the most highly talented prospect since mike trout in the angel system um and the hype was very very high um but he's still you know, he's still Joe Adele. He's still the same, the, the same toolsy player uh, out there. Um, and, you know, one thing that will help, uh, you know, that should help assuming that 2021, the 2021 season is somewhat more normal than the previous season. Um, getting the chance to be around teammates again uh, in, in, clo in closer quarters than last year. I think that could be a big benefit to him. Um, he didn't really get the chance to do that. He, he debuted. Um, he, you know, he was around guys like Mike Trout and and Upton and Pujols and you know veterans who he could definitely talk to. But the problem is that he didn't really have the time or the space to like pick their brains. Um, you right. know, there there wasn't a clubhouse, so to speak. Like they, you know, all the players had their own suites at the ballpark, um, and they didn't really get to congregate at hotels all that much. Uh, it wasn't a normal season. It wasn't a great season to debut. Uh, because you just don't know what it's like to be in the major leagues. And so, to, you know, to come up to the major leagues in a completely different atmosphere that anyone is used to, that no one is used to, then, you know, it's even it's even harder. So I think if the 2021 season is more normal, um, then I think he'll, that'll help him thrive. I think I think you're probably right about that. This 2020 was... I imagine it had to be horror, like di extremely difficult for anybody making their for debut. sure. For sure, I mean, it's just everything was so different. I mean, not only you know the on-field stuff, but the fact that there weren't fans in the stands for the regular season. There, you know, you you can't. You're stuck in your hotel when you're on the road. There's no. There's nothing to do to keep your mind off baseball, really. Um, and then you know, there's the fact that you know, with the, all your meetings with your coaches, if they're not on the field, they're virtual. Um, there, it, it was it was a very hard season, and actually Scott Boris, who represents uh, Adele, 
you know, put those things together uh, in a conference call with reporters in December. He just said that, you know, he that that Adele um, kind of needed that mentorship. He didn't really get it just simply because of the schedules everybody was was uh, everybody was holding. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, that'll just be that'll be a good plus for him to think for things to get kind of back to normal. All right. Well, I, I really, really appreciate your time, uh, taking the time to talk to me and, uh, and sharing your insight. No on problem. The Thanks for having me, Taylor. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. That way you'll be notified when each new episode is published throughout the rest of the off season. Also, please give the show a five-star rating. Each high rating moves my podcast up the list on all the podcast platforms when people search for fantasy baseball. So it's something that really helps me out. I'm on Instagram at Fastball Fantasy Baseball and on Twitter too at Fastball Pod. I'll be posting as much as I can on social media. So follow me there for up to the minute updates and feel free to email this show at fastballfantasybaseball at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.